Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 19. Today I'm speaking with Alex Capasolatro, co-founder and CEO at Josh.ai, a home automation device built with AI. We discuss smart home automation, Internet of Things security, and why the company's logo is a dog. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Alex Capasolatro, the founder and CEO of a company called Josh.ai. You can find them at Josh.ai or their product's called Josh. Um, so welcome, Alex. Thanks for being on the podcast with me. I, I really uh, excited to have you on and uh, to talk all, all about home automation, smart, you know, smart devices, smart homes, and a bunch of other really cool things because you are building a, a really interesting product. So again, thanks for being here. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. So give, give everyone a kind of a feel of who you are. You know, uh, you have an interesting background. Um, from what I, from what I gathered, you worked at NASA before you started this. Um, and, and what's your, and what, you know, what's your, and what you do currently. Sure. Um, so I like to think of myself as an engineer, engineering background, uh, engineering degree. I basically worked for a long time in more, uh, more technical fields, everything from aerospace to bioengineering, did a bunch of semiconductor work. Um, I worked for an electric car company for a while. But ultimately, I've been doing software uh, software development since I was a kid. I always loved just getting on my computer, staying up all night, hacking. You know, I just love to build stuff. And over the years, I've, I've really transitioned from kind of being the, the engineer on the project to more of the visionary. You know, I think about how we can build transformative products, transformative systems, and create a, a, a paradigm shift in how we interact and how we live in a certain aspect. And so my company, Josh AI, was started with the concept of reinventing the way that we live with our homes. The thought is there are tons of sensors, tons of smart devices. The Internet of Things is just blowing up. And what could that do if you build essentially a brain, you know, a smart system? We call it Josh. That's able to adapt and learn and take in various inputs to make the home a really interesting, responsive and simple to use interface. And that's really what we do at Josh. It's very focused on voice control, a number of AI applications, but ultimately it's the idea of you just want to wake up and the house does what you want. You want to be able to walk around, say, you know, Josh, let's watch something on TV. Let's play some music. Maybe you want to adjust your lights, your temperature. It knows your routines, your patterns. It's able to you know, respond based on the time of day, who's around, and just create this sense of a, a really, truly smart home. We've been at it for about three years now, and I will say it's a very hard problem that involves a lot of foundational work, you know, building device discovery, user interfaces, apps, uh, control. At the beginning, we said we did not want to build hardware. We now have an awesome hardware product, and all of that was really to get us to what we consider the beginning of the journey, which is where we are today, 
in order to start doing the real fun stuff, the learning, the AI, you know, the stuff that I think is really going to make an impact. Right, right. So, so, so before uh, before we get into talking all about all about all the things uh, surrounding, you know, the AI and 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 the hardware that you're building, um, why you know why call it Josh? Why why Josh? You know, it's kind of a funny story. I've got a business partner that was an advisor to my last company. Um, his name is Tim Gill, very successful entrepreneur, programmer. And Tim was working on this product really as a, a side project before we formed into a company. Um, he was basically a one-man show, just building his personal assistant. The idea was to pass the Turing test um, and just make a, a smart chatbot. Think of it like Alexa or Siri. While he was building this out, he had a personal trainer named Josh, and the joke was the guy was fun, obviously good-looking as a trainer, but not the brightest. And that's really the way you know the system was in the beginning. It was you know really smart if you said what's the weather, but then you would say what's the weather right now, and the whole system would break. And it was mm -hmm. this concept of you know how do we make the system more flexible? How do we kind of make it a little bit more intelligent? But also remember, these systems are not as smart as humans. They're not, you know, they're not as real as what you see in AI or in sci-fi, rather. Um, and so it was kind of a fun joke on, well, let's go with a really simple name based on a simple person that isn't erudite. You know, Cortana and Alexa, these are names that, you know, are not your neighbor next door. But Josh is just that guy that everyone knows. Um, mm -hmm. If you actually look up, if you look up Josh in Google, one of the first results is from Urban Dictionary, and it says something like, Josh is that fun-loving guy. He's shy at first, but once you get to know him, you'll fall in love. And we just thought that was so perfect. The other <laughs> thing, though, is, the other thing, though, is we, we can't separate the name from the logo. Our logo is actually a dog, and the idea is that Josh isn't a person. It's not a robot. It's really kind of this embodiment of what you think of in a dog. So dogs are loyal. They're trustworthy. You know, it's man's best friend. You can tell the dog to do simple things, you know, sit, fetch, roll over, but you're not going to ask a dog to solve quantum mechanics. And that was kind of the idea of we want people to think of Josh as this friendly addition to their home, not this intimidating robot. Gotcha. That makes sense. You know, oftentimes you, you think of like Terminator or, you know, something scary from like the sci-fi movies when, when, uh, when these AIs become sentient and then they, you know, they kill people. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, moving, let's let's move a little. Let's move a little to talk about some of the hardware. I, from what I understand, I, I, I've been following your company for uh, for a while. You know, you've been working on this for three years. I've been keeping tabs on it, and I've been interested in it. So, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you started um, when you started working on the hardware. It, you you literally were using a, a Mac Mini as like kind of the original um, brain, if you will. Exactly. So what happened was we set out to build what we considered a software platform and we wanted to eliminate any area of potential you know, problem because when you're running a home, and in our case, we tend to run very big, very sophisticated homes that celebrities and business owners are living in, you can't have any issues. You know, running on a Raspberry Pi just didn't feel like it was as, as tough as we wanted. So we said, we already do a lot of our programming on a Mac. We're optimized for Mac OS. If we ship on a Mac mini, which we basically lock down, we put your tech closet and we say, you know, even if you connected the monitor and keyboard, you couldn't get into, basically it's a black box. 
-hmm. it gives us a ton of processing power. You know, it's beautiful hardware. It also allows us to sell initially a, a very expensive product where you feel like you're getting, you know, good solid hardware for it, as opposed to something like a Raspberry Pi. You know, it's lightweight, it's small, it doesn't feel as substantial. We've moved on since then, but that was a great way to get started and really allow us to MVP the software. Gotcha. So that, that does make sense. I mean, when you when you see a, a actual you know Mac Mini computer, uh, as opposed to like you said a, a box with the Raspberry Pi in it, which is like you said very lightweight. You know, you, you're almost in a way like here here's a Mac. Here's something you're familiar with already. Um, you know that you know Macs typically uh, your price range. Uh, Mac Mini I believe started at four ninety nine for a while, um, and you know goes to a couple th you know a couple thousand dollars depending on how you spec it out. Um, so that so that makes sense. Now, you're uh, uh, I believe you're about to launch though the what you're calling Josh Micro. Is that correct? So is, is that we announced in? it. Yes, yeah, so we actually announced it towards the end of last year. And when we announced it, we sold out of our first batch of pre-orders. We've oh, wow. already shipped that. Yes, yeah, so we've already shipped that batch. We're now about ready to have our second batch ready, and we're pretty much sold out of this one as well. And these haven't even be you know begun selling on the market these are simply pre-orders from folks that we've worked with over the last couple of years but yes it's it's already out god awesome that's amazing congrats on that um so let's talk a little bit about the hardware uh you know that in, that that went into and the process that went into making the josh micro which i'm assuming has replaced is replacing or has replaced the original mac mini is that correct Absolutely. So when, when yeah. we were thinking about hardware, the very first thing was I really said, let's not do hardware unless we need to. I, I don't believe that it's smart to just start building, especially hardware, but really any new feature or any new product unless necessary as a startup. You know, staying focused, staying lean is, is really key. But what we realized was the Mac Mini was setting a pretty high price point and we couldn't really come down unless we lost money on the product and that we didn't want to do. The other thing was our product is so based on voice control, we could build and, and we have built our own far field microphone array with with sort of within this product. And the net result is you can put one of these in the kitchen, one in the living room, one in the bedroom, and now you can walk around your house and say, Josh, turn on the lights, play Chopin, watch Netflix. And so we built in, you know, the microphone array as part of the product. The other thing is when you're building custom hardware, it's an expensive process to build but the unit cost can actually get quite low. And so we're able to offer a much more reasonable price, which means now we're, we make sense in apartments and condos and hotel rooms, where in the past we were only in mega mansions, you know, just these huge expensive properties. Mm -hmm. The other thing is we're obsessive about the user interface and the user experience. By putting in a bunch of sensors and adding a sort of a touch interface to the device, we're able to create a, a smart home kind of environment that we could never do with the Mac mini. So for example, this device knows where it is. So rather than having to say, turn on the lights in the living room, you just walk in the living room and say, turn on the lights and those lights turn on. The touch interface on the, the surface allows you to program any scene on a single and a double tap. So think of it kind of like the Logitech pop where you can have a, a tap activate any, any set of actions. So, a tap could open your shades, turn on your thermostat, turn on your lights and play music, and a double tap could turn all that off. There's also a contextual dial around the outside. It's a, um, a touch capacitive ring 
where when you give a command, it adjusts to that, um, that action. So for example, if you set to play some music, it becomes a volume adjuster that you can easily go around the knob, kind of like a Nest thermostat to increase or decrease. Mm-hmm. Then if you say to turn on the lights, it becomes a dimmer. If you say to open the shades, you can fine tune what sort of percentage to open it using the same knob. And so it's this idea of the device all of a sudden is, is a useful interface in addition to voice. It sort of you know, complements voice really well. And the net result is instead of buying one for the home, our clients on average are buying 10 to 15. You know, they're putting them in all of their rooms, which is really kind right. of cool. No, definitely. So in terms of in terms of actually manufacturing the hardware or and, and, and working with a manufacturing partner, what are some of the biggest obstacles you guys faced, um, uh, I guess, after you had originally designed what you wanted the Josh Micro to be? How did you go about um, getting the manufacturing partners on board? Did you have any experience previously with manufacturing? Not direct. Um, I've done small run manufacturing of non-electronics, so like bike parts, that kind of stuff. And I did sort of at a whole different scale. Um, I was part of an electric car company where we were doing, you know, full assembly line with thousands of components. But in terms of a product like this, this was really my first time diving in. And I'm not going to lie, it was tough, you know, finding the right partner, dealing with, in our case, some language barrier, culture barriers. Um, What we found early on was China, Vietnam, and South Korea were really the main three markets that we could work with. It's it's really tough to do what we're doing domestically. Pretty much all of the other electronics that are in this category get made overseas. And the net result is I end up flying, we, we chose a partner in South Korea. I end up flying to South Korea every three to four weeks. Members of my team are flying back and forth. And the thing that's been most, I, I'd say, sort of challenging and difficult is just you've got delays of securing parts, delays of getting things certified, delays of just passing engineering requirements. You know, very quickly we had a looks like works like prototype, but it didn't hear super well. It didn't have, you know, power management and heat management and everything at the level that we needed. And I would say it took as much time, if not longer, to fine tune it as it did to have that first prototype back in September. And that that was frustrating because we've had clients excited to install it, excited to sell it, excited to work with it. Um, in some very important properties, and we've just had to say, look, we're close, but until we get the product working at our standards or above, we're not going to ship it. We just we can't afford to put a product out that doesn't work well enough. And having those high quality standards, it's important. You know, your product is great, but it takes time to get there, and that you know that was frustrating. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, uh, I could I could totally understand that. I think one of the things. You know, uh, when it comes to manufacturing is especially if you if a lot of, you know, you see a lot of these Kickstarters or Indiegogo campaigns um, or just people who get into, you know, wanting to build hardware. And I'm guessing that was originally one of your original concerns in terms of why you wanted to to stay away from hardware at first. Um, You know, just the fact that it's just very difficult to do. Um, They they always say hardware is hard. (laughs) Um, And so it, 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 it. is this kind of why you're you're doing these um, batches, if you will, of 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 releases uh, of, of the Josh Micro, as opposed to kind of having a rolling, uh, you know, ordering process? Yeah, I mean, basically, when you're manufacturing, it's very tough to do runs less than ten thousand units at a time. And as a small company, the last thing I want to do is order ten thousand units find out that there's an issue or something that isn't quite right 
and we basically have to just sit on that inventory, can't ship it, can't sell it. And that's a huge expense. You know, you're basically having to shell out all the money up front for these units. So what we decided to do instead was the smallest batch size we can do, which tends to be sort of 500 to 1,000 units, do a couple of those. And every time we're making little tweaks, we're getting feedback, we're making improvements. And the idea is that in some cases, we might replace the people who bought the first unit if the next batch is that much better. So far, you know, the first units are working just fine. It's been a lot of software updates, but we're completely ready to say, look, if a batch of 500 fails or has an issue, we'll eat that cost rather than a batch of 10,000 and eating that cost. But we're now getting very close to saying the product's doing everything we need. We're going to stop making tweaks and changes. And so we are going to go and start doing orders at 10,000 at a time, which is very standard. You know, when you're building consumer electronics, that's kind of the way that factories are set up to run. Right, right. So I want to jump a little bit and talk about voice control some more, because obviously voice is a huge part of Josh, um, as well as other uh, you know, smart home devices that are out there. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I, I mean, even Google now, you know, even Google also has, you know, you can search, you can you can search Google or Siri or use Siri to search Google, at least, um, you know, everything's voice these days. Uh, do, you, do you see voice becoming an essential technology and part of everyday life? Like, I still feel like, you know, you, I walk down the street in New York City and I don't see people really like, you know, unless, unless they're on the phone talking to someone, I don't see them necessarily, you know, saying, hey, Siri, you know, play this or Google, you know, or hey, Google, you know, do this. Um, do, is that is that coming? And, and or how do we get to that point where where voice is more ubiquitous uh, and and more common uh, for people to kind of use with technology? So, so the answer is yes and no in terms of sort of is it coming? Is it here? What is it taking? And it's really interesting. When we started the company, we had this philosophy that in in order to make home automation really easy to use and really powerful. You have to move away from custom graphical user interfaces. You know, my father, who's 77, for example, is not going to open up an app. He's not going to try to fiddle around. And voice simplifies that for, for certain things. To walk into a room and say, you know, Josh, turn the lights on, that's a very easy thing to do. And so we had this concept that voice would be a piece of the puzzle, not the entire puzzle. It's not going to replace the need for remotes and switches and physical interfaces. But what it does is it, it gives sort of a new dimension, new paradigm for how people can interact with their homes. In the very beginning, there was a lot of pushback. A lot of the dealers that we work with were saying they didn't believe that voice was really going to happen. Like they didn't understand that it was going to be as impactful as it was. And in fact, we were even wrong where we thought it was going to be attractive to people who really wanted that science fiction environment. They wanted to be very tech savvy. And what happened was Amazon with the Echo and Google with Google Home, they started buying Super Bowl ads and really marketing this stuff. The tide turned to the point where I was recently at a conference that was all about the smart home. It was a, a very large kind of high-end conference. And someone asked, why is the smart home really growing? Why is it doing well? And the response was, it's being driven by two product categories. It's being driven by cameras like Ring Doorbell, and it's being driven by voice assistants. And the reality is the voice assistants in the home are the quickest, easiest, most efficient way to, to essentially control your environment. 
it's not something that I think makes sense for everything. Um, for example, if you want to flip through Netflix, having a physical remote makes sense. But with Josh, I can walk in my room and I can say, you know, Josh, turn on the air conditioning, set the lights to 50%, open the shades and, and switch the TV on to Netflix. I can say that in one command. I don't have to break it out. I don't have to grab remotes and go to my thermostat and hit a light switch. And it's that ease of just walking in, you know, maybe I'm multitasking, maybe my hands are busy and I can just speak naturally. That That is so powerful. And so what we're seeing is voice is already the number one request in the smart home. It's driving the adoption for every other product that we see in the house. It's why voice is getting integrated into everything from your refrigerator and your stove to your lights, your speakers, your TVs. It's, it's really an important technology. But again, we focus on the user experience. And the user experience is if you're putting the baby to sleep, you want to go and hit a switch or an app. You don't want to speak and wake up your baby. You know, if you're remote, you want to be able to open your phone and check on your security cameras, see what's going on remotely, turn off your lights or unlock your door, um, you know, if it's a safe, secure environment. And so our feeling is where it's all moving is voice is a piece of making the home more sort of intelligent and, and easy to use. But it's really heading towards this notion that we call no UI, right? So we had graphical user interfaces and then voice user interfaces. Well, the idea of no user interface is that the home simply adjusts to your your desires and sort of your requests without you having to speak. You know, it's this simple notion of you walk into a room with a motion sensor, the lights turn on. In that case, you didn't have to hit a switch, go to an app, or give a voice command. The house just did what you wanted. That's a very simple idea, but when you couple that with better sensors, machine learning, and AI, it becomes really powerful. Right. No, I I hundred percent agree. There there's a lot of nuance. I feel like in uh, you know, in this in this in this market, um, where where you know people they you know they they expect one thing, um, or they want to do something, but you know they're the devices just aren't smart enough yet. Um, I think, and I think you know one of the, and the other and the other thing that that kind of you know that's interesting to me is um. That I like, I love to talk to you about is in terms of the the inter, the user interface for you know for lack of a better word I know we were just talking about no UI, uh, but maybe you know even that's kind of a UI in and of itself. Um, what you know, because you have speakers, you have these these uh, these these you have lights, you have uh, you have you know garage doors, you have you you have all these different elements of a home, uh, and but they but really you know at, what it comes down to is each one should you know have has should have a different kind of interaction um so you know they're not all the same they don't all operate best on the same exact ui right um what are what are you know what are some examples in your in your, in your opinion based on what you've seen and what you're working on of of good user interface design for smart homes like you know you know where, where what should people be looking for uh you know when, when buying this, these devices you know, at the end of the day, the number one thing that I think people don't think enough about is just the reliability aspect of smart devices. For example, if your device is going to be running on Wi-Fi, and if it's in a location where Wi-Fi is not going to be ideal, for example, in an outdoor location, no matter how good the device is, reliability is going to be questioned, and then the rest of it's downhill. And so we're often looking at, can you have the device hardwired? Can you run it on PoE? Essentially, can you reduce some of the reliability issues and also just read reviews, right? Make sure that 
people aren't complaining that this device just stops working or is you know fickle, you want to make sure the device has you know really good reviews and customers that are excited about it. The next thing from my perspective is you want to make sure the device both integrates with the rest of your system um, in sort of the way that's most important to you, but also is super easy to use when you want to go directly to it. And so, for example, I think Nest thermostats are a great one. Nest thermostats integrate super well into most voice assistants, including ours. What we can do is tie Nest into a scene. Like if I say, Josh, I'm going to bed, the thermostat could adjust along with lights and other things. If I say, Josh, um, you know, good morning, it could turn the thermostat onto a certain mode. But then if I don't want to use a voice command, I can just go up to the Nest thermostat and it's so easy to use. You basically have a big temperature reading. You turn the knob clockwise or counterclockwise to adjust, a simple tap to change the mode. It's a really nice device because it's reliable, it's hardwired, it integrates well, and it's easy to use by itself. And I think the more that we see devices like that where you know they work great standalone, they integrate with the rest of your control, you can set up scenes, and you just know that it's going to work every single time, that's what customers really want. Right. No, yeah, I mean... That's that's certainly what I would want. Um, I live I live in New York City, as I mentioned. You know, I have a small apartment, and I mean, sometimes I, I one of the one of the reasons why for me, um, I haven't really invested too much in, in in this smart home automation stuff is that I just you know I just I don't see the need in kind of a smaller home. Um, you know, if I want to play music, my desk is only a you know a little couple steps away. Um, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, you know, it would be if I wanted to to say play music, you know, uh, that would be one thing. But I, I'm, I like, I'm picky, I guess. I don't know. Um, but there's certainly, you know, there's certainly everyone is kind of has their own kind of quirks, if you will. So making sure that you you know the device, you understand what the device that you're buying and how it's going to be and how you can utilize it to uh, to fit you and and in your home is obviously important. Um, I want to talk about security a little bit with you. Um, or or concerns with the Internet of Things kind of um, you know market industry, where you know there was re- we recently had an article on Best Techie about how hackers hacked this casino by because they had a Internet of Things connect uh, an Internet of Things uh, thermostat in their fish tank, so they were able to to hack into the casino and steal a database. Um, uh, the high rollers database from this casino. Uh, what you know? What what are some of your biggest concerns about IoT and and ha- and do you have any particular thoughts in terms of you know uh, keeping people's homes secure? Uh, one you know once a lot of once you know many of their uh, devices or home appliances are connected to the internet. Yeah, so there there are a couple things. The first one is. You can dramatically reduce the cost of the hardware by sending everything out to the cloud, processing out in the cloud. The problem is that means all the data is going you know, outside the house. Once it goes out to the cloud, there's a vulner- vulnerability in terms of a potential breach. Everything is basically stored typically in one location. And there's also the, the prospect of you don't know where the data is going. So, for example, what exactly is Amazon doing with the data they're collecting or Google? Or what about you know a lesser-known system where they might be open to, to a potential hack? What we said was, on the flip side, we're going to make our hardware very, very robust. You know, We went from a Mac Mini that was a full computer 
to a processor that's not quite a Mac Mini, but it's got 16 gigs of memory. I mean, there's a lot that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so we keep, we keep as much of the data inside the walls of your home. We only go out to the cloud when necessary. The concept is that now the knowledge is all distributed. So if someone did breach a property, they're not getting all of your customers. They're just getting one. But even getting that one is very difficult because it's now not a cloud hack, but a local hack. So it's a, a totally different concept. That being said, you know, we can't dictate the fact that Nest is doing everything in the cloud and, you know, more and more Sony smart TVs and stuff like that are going out to the cloud. And so in those cases, it just takes one breach to, to allow someone kind of into the local network. And then we've seen this happen with IP cameras and stuff where people basically get in through a breach and then they get you know exposed and access to everything else. A lot of the manufacturers that we work with from smart locks to smart sprinkler systems and TVs and set-top boxes, they're building more and more security protocols into their systems where the user has to physically be present to press a button like on Philips Hue or be able to see your TV and essentially type in an access code that gets broadcast to the TV to pair it. Things that a hacker couldn't do if they weren't physically present. So we're certainly moving in the right direction. But I do always remind people that there's no such thing as an unhackable you know, company, product, or solution. And we're all doing our best. I like to say the smart home in many ways is as secure as online banking. That is, you know, good for a lot of people, but I know people that don't use online banking because right. there is always a risk. There's always a vulnerability. I do think the blockchain and some technologies like that can make it better. Um, and it is a very big focus for companies like myself and many of the, the folks we work with. But I will say it's going to be an ongoing discussion. Um, I don't believe the the home is going to be unhackable, but I do believe the smart technologies that we have are actually better for security and privacy than not having. For example, if you have a, a vacation home and there's no technology, you have no idea if someone breaks in. But if you have security cameras, if you have sensors, if you have the ability to essentially you know, control and get get alerted if the garage opens, if doors open, if certain things happen, to me, that's peace of mind, right? That's actually a very nice thing that allows you to feel more secure. Um, but it's always a double-edged sword, right? You can't get remote access without the potential risk of giving up remote access. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Can you, I, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit more about, how, you know, you mentioned blockchain being a potential uh, uh part of at least part of a solution for for this how how do you envision that how do you envision the blockchain playing a role in uh in that you know i'll be honest it's a very nebulous concept i know a number of folks that are trying to apply blockchain technologies the one area that seems to make sense is every command that happens in the home every device that gets triggered if that action is basically being written to the blockchain then it can't be erased it can be sort of you know, tracked in a very secure way. And the idea is that if there were a breach or a vulnerability, it wouldn't be easy to cover up. Where right, right now... Yeah, if you have logging in place, even though those logs can be deleted and overwritten or what have you. Exactly. So, you know, I think we're going to see some interesting solutions that I've never even fathomed. It's sort of the exciting aspect of the blockchain is it just opens a whole new paradigm. But there's not a very clear aspect that you know, my company's working on or that I think is coming to the market very soon that I'm aware of. Right. No, I, I yeah, I, I, I don't expect something like that to probably come to market 
you know, in the near future. But it is interesting, you know, as more and more companies explore blockchain technology and ways to utilize it, uh, you know, it's cool. It's cool to see that you guys are also thinking about that as well in that space. Um, I, I want to talk about how, you know, Josh, obviously, one of the really powerful things about it is it integrates and you have these integrators um, with so many different, uh, you know, various uh, other smart devices that you can put in your home. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why it's kind of like the hub or the brain, I believe that you, you know, that you call it. Um, what has been the process or, or, or any obstacles in, in uh, with, you know, getting these integrations in place? Have, have these companies like Nest and, and Philips, you know, and Apple TV and Roku and so on, ha have they been easy to uh, work with or, or, or are they kind of, are they, you know, giving you uh, trouble in terms of getting, uh, working with them? Um, not easy at all. Um, in the very <laughs> beginning, yeah. So in the very beginning, what actually happened was we had to build essentially a, a hacked integration to get the company to listen. In many cases, once they were sort of seeing, you know, we'd send them a quick video like, "Hey, check this out," and it would be a voice command of, you know, a, a music system or a lighting system or something. They would respond back saying, "Whoa, how did you do that?" And then, okay, let's talk about making this official. Let's make it, you know, sanctioned. Because when we're doing it unofficially, it can, you know, break. It can get deprecated. There are many issues that can happen. Right. And so it's been a, it's been an uphill battle that, you know, years after we began has gotten a lot better. We now have some very strong partnerships. But I will say, you know, some companies like Apple, for example, Apple TV has historically been totally locked down. And so if you want to say something like, Josh, watch season two of Breaking Bad, we can go right into that season through a Roku. We can't do it through Apple TV. And that's not a technical limitation. That's just a partnership limitation. And we're hoping that more and more companies like Apple will open up their APIs and allow for companies like ours to work with them. Um, and in some cases, you know, folks like Roku, they've been wonderful. Um, but Apple, in this case, they've kept more of a lockdown approach um, to their, their products. Yeah, I mean, that's typical Apple. Um, I. You know, I think it'd be, I'd be curious if, you know, as smart home technology becomes more ubiquitous, if they'd be willing to kind of open up their API a little bit. Uh, so, you know, giving companies like yours more, a little bit more access to, I mean, they, uh, to, uh, to, to TVOS. I mean, they have certainly uh, done it with iOS over the years. It's, it's, you know, it's opened up a little bit more. I mean, remember, they didn't even allow, you know, like other keyboards for a long time. <laughs> um, so I, it's certainly a possibility that they could do it. I don't know when on their timeline that that would be the case, but you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it does happen. Yeah, and they they just announced at WWDC that they're opening it up a little bit to a couple of partners. It's it's definitely moving forward. The other thing I will say is, at this stage in the game, the technical limitations are largely understood. It's now just a matter of getting companies to play better together. Mm -hmm. and, and, and do you see that as one of the unique selling points of your of your product as kind of a way to kind of uh, to way a way to bring uh, all of your different devices together and work kind of seamlessly together? Absolutely. Um, you know, in the past, there was this notion that you would rather have your dedicated apps because Sonos makes a great music sort of app and, you know, Nest makes a great thermostat and, and camera app. And it was good having all these separate apps. 
And what we've learned is that's tough because people have to learn all these different interfaces. They have to keep track of all these different you know, apps on their phone. But also if you wanna say something like, Josh, shut the house down, that now needs to talk to all of your systems. And if you don't have a unified control platform like what we do, you're having to go to the Nest app to turn things off, the Sonos app to turn things off, the Lutron app to turn things off. And so it does simplify things when you have a good unified system. Our approach though is we know we're not gonna have every single feature that every product offers. So we wanna give you essentially enough control natively through our system. But if you wanna go and do advanced control, if you wanna you know, configure your Nest thermostat and all the different things it can do, then we'd say go to the Nest app because you know we don't wanna replace what they're doing. We just wanna make the experience for the homeowner to be really simple when they're using the system. Right. And, and, and in terms of, um, uh, in terms of, you, I mean, you also, you have the hardware, which we've talked about, but then you also have an iOS app, correct? That, that I guess yes. integrates and it integrates with all the, allowing you to do kind of the, the, the functionality you were just discussing. Yeah. So we have a native app on iPhone, iPad, Android, and then even right in the, the browser on a desktop. And the idea is that you can control anything by voice, anything by typing, or anything by a GUI. So we've got all sorts of um, controllers for your lights, your thermostats, your TVs. And the idea is we want to provide whatever the simplest inter interface and interaction is. The other thing that we do is we can tie into the keypads in your room. So instead of hitting a light switch and just the lights go on, we can allow you to easily configure hitting that light switch, turns on your lights and also opens the shades or turns on the lights and also plays the music. And so now it's basically just hitting a, a button on your wall to do it. So the idea is to really allow the user to interact in whatever is most natural to them. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and obviously that is the key, I think, right there. The most natural to them, I think you hit the nail on the head with, with that. Because, you know, if, 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 someone, you know, if someone buys your product or, or even, if, even if they're buying multiple different, um, you know, uh, other smart home devices, you know, if, if it's if they're not comfortable using it, you know, it, it's going to be a negative experience for them. And that may affect them down the road in terms of whether they buy, you know, another another product, uh, either from you or from someone else. So making sure that it works, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, and, and it makes it, you know, a, a, everything about it, you know, works uh, seamlessly for them is, is critical. Absolutely. So I'm curious if you have, I don't know if you have this number off the top of your head, but if, if you do or you have an idea, I'd love to know if you can share uh, with Josh Micro and, and all the people who are using your product in their homes right now, on average, how many of them, uh, how many uh, IoT devices do you, do they have connected uh, and routed through your product? What are, what are you typically seeing? Because we started off with very large, very complicated projects, it was common to see hundreds of connected devices. When we get into smaller units, you know, single bedroom apartments and condos and that stuff, it's certainly a bit smaller, but still, you know, many devices, dozens of devices is quite common. You know, I, I believe a recent poll showed that only recently did we pass the average number of people with more than one device versus one or less has, has turned. So what I mean by that is, until recently, most people had only one device or no device. Now more people have two or more devices, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, that makes that makes sense. That's a that's a that's a good stat for you guys. <laughs> that's really that's a really positive uh, stat. Um, what what you know? I live in a one bedroom apartment here in New York City, and you know when when if and when Josh Micro is available, um, you know, and you have and you and you have all these units and you're selling them, uh, you know, and you're out of kind of like the pre order phase. If I were to to to, to buy a Josh Micro, what would be the you know how how do you kind of envision um, a smaller home using using the Josh Micro? A couple things. So the first one is up until now we've taken the approach of selling our system exclusively through integrators. These are the guys that are installing your lights, installing your sort of sound systems. You see this more in kind of high end homes, but the mm -hmm. idea is they're going to guarantee that the the Wi-Fi network is strong, that everything is kind of set up properly. And that's really important to make sure that there are no issues and the system is running really well. As the, as we sort of scale down into smaller properties, right now we're working mainly with um, builders and building owners who are putting Josh into, you know, all of their units in, you know, a 200 unit building or a 500 unit building. And the idea in this case is that the building is able to sort of manage it the same way they manage, you know, your plumbing and your electricity and, and all of that. At some point, we will look towards this this idea of a direct-to-consumer product that you just buy and set up on your own. But right now, because it's so tightly integrated with everything else in the home, we do go through this professional installation channel. That makes sense. I think that's a really good approach in terms of these smaller smaller properties, you know, working with the building management and getting it integrated uh, from that standpoint. That, I think that's a, a very smart approach. Um, la last question I have for you before we get to our lightning round. Um, and we touched on this a little earlier. Obviously, the Josh uh, logo is a dog. But you guys, I, I follow you guys on Instagram. You guys post a lot of dogs on your Instagram feed. <laughs> and, I, and frankly, I, I probably like most of the ones that I run across on your Instagram feed because I think they're, they're really, you find the cutest pictures. Um, but is, is there an, is, you know, just curious why, 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 so, why so focused on the dogs on the Instagram feed? Thanks. Yeah. So our concept <laughs> is we're building a brand that's not, it's not about technology, right? We don't want people to think about they're putting electronics in their home. The idea is we're about the lifestyle. We're about creating this sense that someone is just having a, you know, a very enjoyable experience when they come home. And so what we do is we post on Instagram design and architecture inspiration products that we think are awesome inside and insight into sort of our company and how we operate really try to humanize what we're doing and then dogs with this notion that that's core to our brand you know we believe that josh is not this you know sort of anonymous robot that could take over your your you know life in a negative way but it's this just comfortable fun you know enjoyable experience so part of the, the photos of the puppies just reinforce the brand that we're trying to create, the image that we want to represent. And also we just love dogs. <laughs> I love dogs too. I wish I wish I could ha I wish I had a dog. I have two cats. I love them to death. But I would also like to have a dog at some point. <laughs> are you are you a big dog kind of guy or or a, you know small dog kind of guy? A bigger dog. I've got a 2-year-old chocolate lab probably 65 pounds. Oh wow. Yeah, I would like I would love a dog like that. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, I'm going to, let's, let's, let's do the lightning round it whenever you're ready. The lightning round, of course, is, is supported by Wix where you can create a professional website and that's Wix, 
wix.com. So Alex, whenever you're ready, we'll get started. Let's go for it. Awesome. All right, here we go. As a founder, what's the most important trait you look for when hiring? You know, I'm a big fan of just raw talent. I always say ambition and, and hunger over experience will carry an employee any day. So just raw talent and raw just ambition and motivation. Nice. So I think I know the answer to this next one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Dogs or cats? Dogs, of course. <laughs> Besides Josh, uh, what's your favorite smart home product? Oof, that's really hard to say, but the one product in my home that gets the most attention from guests is a smart coffee maker called Top Brewer. It's just a little spout that sticks out of a, um, a counter. You put a mug under and you can have it make whatever you want from a latte, a cappuccino, an Americano. Um, I don't actually drink coffee myself, but guests love this product. That sounds pretty awesome. I don't drink coffee either, but I feel like if I had one of those, I would certainly try it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So next, 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 uh, next question in, uh, is: Will Siri catch up to other digital assistants? Yeah. So WWDC this week, there were some really cool advancements in Siri. They're certainly lagging behind a lot of what Alexa and Google are doing in certain domains. I, I know this isn't a lightning round answer, but I just want to add: <laughs> I, I, I believe that you can excel as a voice assistant if you focus on solving one particular problem. And that's where I think Siri has failed, is it's too broad, it's too wide, it's trying to do everything. For us, we're focused on the home, and it's what's allowing us to do a really good job. And I think if Siri finds that niche, they can really, really nail it. Noted. I'll definitely send that advice over to Apple. <laughs> <laughs> um, last question for you. Uh, this one's hopefully an easy one. Favorite type of food? Uh, so I'm a vegetarian, and... Um, I'll say there's a restaurant in L.A. called Crossroads that just does an amazing job of vegetarian. So it's not necessarily a type of food, but it's a great restaurant. There you go. If you're in L.A., check out Crossroads. Highly recommended by Alex. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. It's been a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I'm excited to see what you guys continue to do with Josh. Uh, I'll, keep, I'll definitely keep an eye on it. If you, uh, and if you have any big news that you'd like to send over my way, I'm happy to take a look at it as well. If people want to find you online or get in contact, what's the best way for them to do that? So try to answer every email. It's just alex at josh.ai. Otherwise, the website's josh.ai. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, and um, Instagram. So please find us. Yes, definitely follow them on Instagram. You will get your dog fix, guaranteed. <laughs> awesome. Well, Alex, thanks again for being on. I appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.